0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Jared. It is great to be with you. And so we are in week three of our Anxious series. And uh, it is amazing that Thanksgiving is a week and a half away. Like, who's ready for the holidays? A show of hands. Is anyone ready for the holidays? Okay, there's a a child over here going, yes, (laughs) yes, come quickly. Well, this series comes in good timing because December and January, if you do your research, there's a lot of anxiety in those two months. And a lot, there's a lot of good things that happen. There's a lot of words like joy, Thanksgiving, that are encouraging words that kind of help with anxiety. But the the real anxiety that families, and, and you might be able to relate to this, is there's a lot that happens. There's a lot with providing Christmas for kids. There's that financial stress. And why January's lumped into this, first and foremost, it's one of the worst weathered part of the the 12 months, so there's a lot of depression and anxiety that comes with cold and the lack of sunshine, but it's January when you have to start paying for all the money you spent in December, and there's that financial stress, and it can carry all the way through the spring, research says, and then it can get to the height because March is also another tough month to get through. But it's good and encouraging for us to understand that God wants us to have victory in, in this anxiety that we face in life, and it is possible. In week one, so if you missed it, week one, we talked about the anxiety chapter in the Bible, which is Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, and it says Paul says like this, he says, be anxious for nothing. In other translations, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about anything. Pray about everything, meaning replace that anxiousness with prayer. Let anxious thoughts in your mind be a trigger to go to God in prayer. And then he even gave us instructions on how to pray. He says, tell God what you need. Now, this is the the intimacy of God because God already knows all our needs. He doesn't need us to share our needs, but he is in a personal relationship with us, and he wants to hear from his sons and daughters. He wants you to verbalize your needs to God because he is in step with you. He's right by your side and he wants to help you. And then don't forget, Paul wraps up verse six about thanking God for all that he's doing in your life. And that's really the the key to overcoming our our anxiety is rooted in God. And then last week we talked about control freaks because control freaks actually experience a lot of anxiety. Any control freaks in the room? Yeah, I am a huge control freak, and it's weird. The older I get, the more controlling I'm getting, ask my kids. But a silly little example of this in my life is I cannot stand to be a passenger in a vehicle. (laughs) The brakes, the gas, and the steering wheel do not work on the right side of the car. Even though I try, like I do things like this, so my wife's gift to us is she never drives. She can't handle me reacting to her driving, and it's silly. Because she's, she's never been in an accident. There's really no reason other than maybe she speaks a little bit, and she's from California, so she rolls through stop signs. <laughs> but other than that, she gets to point A and point B just fine, but it's all up here in my head, and I don't have control. And we looked, and thank goodness that we don't have control, because God, the sovereign God who is in control of all things, is the one in control. And that is freeing when we really understand the details of God's control that we need to just surrender this all to God, the one who truly is in control. And today we're gonna be looking at when thoughts run wild. So much of the anxiety that we face is up here in our minds, up here within our thoughts. And in a minute, we're gonna look at Paul's solution in scripture, inspired through the Holy Spirit's writings, that we can have victory over our anxiety and so much of it has to deal with our thoughts. So I kind of just want... To set the stage of what Paul's gonna be talking about, so I want to give some examples about how thoughts start in our mind and they continue to just go on and on and on. So it's 8 30 on a Monday morning. You're at work and your boss comes into you and says, Hey, come to my office at 4:30, we need to have a discussion, and that's all your boss tells you. Now you've heard layoffs are coming, they're downsizing, and now you gotta get from 8:30 to 4:30. And I tell you what, you are going to think of all the, all the thoughts, all the possibilities that are going to happen. You're going to go to the best possibilities. Oh, well, maybe I'm going to keep my job. Maybe he just has a 15-minute thing like, here, drop this off at the post office. But maybe not. And you're going to go to the worst-case scenario. You know, we have thoughts when it comes to our health. Now, we all, with the help of Google, are physicians now. And sometimes we self-analyze. And But... You notice, no, I need to go see a doctor, and they run some tests, and they say, we will get back to you. Until that moment they get back to you, your mind starts to wander. You start thinking about those tests, and you start thinking about the best-case scenarios and the worst-case scenarios. Parents, maybe you can relate to this one. You have older teenage kids. They're supposed to be home at 11. Mom texted at 11.05, not dad, but mom did. They haven't returned that message. It's midnight now. And your mind just starts to think, where are they? What's happened? Why won't they call back? Why won't they text back? And you go from the best case scenario to the worst case scenario. What that is called is rumination. And that's really what Paul is going to be speaking to us today. And here's the definition of it. A deeper considered thought about something. And I like the full definition of it. The action of chewing the cud. Now, if you grew up on a farm, you, would, you, would vis- you got that great visual of a cow, and it's actually healthy for a cow to do this. We won't go into those details, but the repetitive slow motion of chewing over and over and over again is rumination. And that's what our thoughts start to become. They, we, we start ruminating. Whoops, I got a little anxious there. Rumination is when your mind chews on something over and over and it's a classic symptom of anxiety. So I want you to be thinking about all the thoughts. You know, those examples I gave are the kind of the easy ones that cause our minds to kind of go in that direction, but just throughout the day, we can find ourselves ruminating. We can just be going over these thoughts in our minds and over and over. And what happens is a lot of those thoughts lead to anxiety. And so if you just continue on that pattern of continuation of thinking over and over about things, it's going to heighten the intensity within us. That that feeling, again, the definition of anxiety, so everyone's on the same page because we all experience it, it's to what level is feelings of worry, nervousness, and unease. And it's all right here. You can feel it. When it outflows from the mind into the body, You feel it in your chest, you feel it in your stomach. That's the word butterflies, and it's all right here. And what Paul's getting at is our thoughts can cause us to have that heightened anxiety because of our thinking. So here's the solution. We're going to read it, and then we'll start diving into three points today. Philippians 4.8, so here's the solution. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So what Paul is getting at here is we can have control. We can have control of our thoughts, our thoughts, the things that we put into our minds. Paul is saying, you have control over that. And now we're going to start really starting to unpack that. And here's the first point of today's sermon. Anxiety is an emotion caused by the brain's reaction the situations not the situations themselves so it's easy for us to look at that situation and so let's go back to the work topic that meeting at 4:30 and they're looking at that situation and they're saying that's what's causing anxiety in my life but that's not true there's a great book about how we are to rewire our anxious brain anxiety starts in the brain It has nothing at first to do with the situation. And it's important to understand the brain. God designed it. Scientists are still trying to figure it out. It is very complex. But our anxiety is up here. It's in our brain. Anxiety is a human emotion produced by the brain. So we have to geek out on the brain here a little bit. Because we're talking about thoughts, we have to understand how the brain works, so I'm going to try to keep this very simple. Now, Zach is here. He was on the podcast. He has much more like deep theology about the brain. I encourage you, don't come talk to me. Come talk to Zach about the brain. But I know enough, I, you know, and I'll get to my story here in just a second. But let's talk about the brain. The thalamus, that is the, the hub of the brain, which is the network system. It receives pro- information, it's processing thing, and then it sends other signals to other parts of the brain because the brain has many parts to it. The logical part of the brain is the cortex. So when we go through a math equation, one plus one equals two, we're using our cortex. Now, there's a lot more to that that the cortex does, but it's the logical part of the brain. And then it goes to the amygdala, which is the emotional response of the brain, and so what it does is it sees a situation and it emotionally responds to it. And so let me give you a couple of examples of, like, healthy anxiety and how the brain works. And then the second example will be not so healthy. So little Johnny is in the middle of the street. The brain recognizes that visually. You see that? It's the brain's aware of that now. It sends a signal to the cortex. The cortex says, this is danger. It's dangerous for Johnny to be in the middle of the street. It sends the signal to the amygdala. The amygdala's emotion is fear. The adrenaline starts pumping in your body to action, where that swells up, you rush out into the street, you swoop up little Johnny, and you bring him back to safety. That is healthy anxiety. There was worry there. There was concern there, but it's healthy for the sake of Johnny. That's a good, positive way to look at this and how the brain functions with those three parts. Now, sometimes the cortex gets skipped. The logical part of the brain gets skipped. So it goes, the information starts there in the thalamus, and it then goes to the amygdala without logic. And then that's where we start thinking about all the different scenarios. And we have this this emotional responsive anxiety that now is in our mind because our mind's creating it, it starts in the brain. Logic now is not a part of the equation, and I'm gonna give you an example, a personal example. So it'll be 11 years this March from that moment I had a stroke 11 years ago. So I'm life flighted to Murray from Ogden Regional, and I land and the brain surgeon's there and he's prepping me for an MRI and he's getting me ready for surgery. And he starts laying out all the things. And so that made sense. My cortex, like I didn't know what else to do, gave him the thumbs up, let's do it. I'm coming out of it. He says, he puts me in, he goes, Jared, we're not, you didn't, you didn't have surgery. You have a significant amount of blood on your brain. We cannot see the rupture point, even within the MRI. He says, so here's what we need to do. We've got to give your brain three to four days so that the blood absorbs in your brain. Then you'll have to go back in again to get an MRI and then possibly surgery after that. So there's that three days of kind of the unknown, and now my mind starts to ruminate. I'm going over all these thoughts. I'm going over all these thoughts, even to the point of like, do I hope they find the rupture point? I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be hoping to find the rupture point. Do the, when the next MRI, do I want them to say we can't find it, and I just live with this, hole, this extra hole <laughs> in my head for the rest of my life? or this worry that whatever it was didn't get fixed. But what then I did is I went to the worst-case scenario, and I started thinking of my family. And so I'm rooting now, what if I would have died? And I'm camping there, and I'm talking days at the hospital, ruminating. I left the house a mess. I left the garage a mess. I left my wife and family and the kids and the finances a mess. Like, I'm thinking of all these things because I go, not to the logical part that I'm still here, I'm recovering, I can get well, go home and clean the garage, go home and help clean the house, help get healthy financially, all those things. No, I go to death, and that's not the logical part, but that's what my anxiety was doing to me because of the thoughts that I was putting in my mind thinking of the different scenarios. That's a great example of how when we ruminate and we're not ruminating with logic, that our anxiety starts to increase over the things that we're thinking about. And you might be able to relate to that. And if you ruminate to the point where you start peaking with anxiety, it's called a panic attack. And basically, a panic attack is your body launching into the fight, flight, or freeze response at an inappropriate time due to an overreaction by the amygdala, that's the part of the brain that is responsible for the emotional response, often in response to some sort of trigger that possesses no real danger. Now, look, I'm not making light of panic attacks, because I have been a very anxious person all my life. I've never experienced a panic attack. I think I've been close. Thank God. But I do have loved ones in my family that have experienced panic attacks. And when you have that, it is intense. That's anxiety at its peak. But the truth of the matter is, it's still. It's the anxiety is all up here in our minds. But then it flows out into our emotions, into what we're feeling. And so many people, when they think they're having a panic attack, they think they're dying, especially the first panic attack they have. There's a lot of commonalities to chest pain, and or head and thinking they're going to pass out and that pressure of the walls. They said they believe that the walls are caving in on them. But in reality, the walls aren't moving. But I'm not making light of panic attacks. I believe in it and people need to understand God's word because you can have victory. You can have victory over this. And Paul is going to continue what he started in in week one, really talking about the scriptures of how first we seek God, instead pray about everything, tell God what you need, thank him for all that he's doing, and then you will experience that peace that surpasses all understanding. It is possible for us to experience peace when we are dealing with anxiety. And now in verse eight, he's going to continue with more action steps. So here's the second point, and then we'll look at scripture. Long before science understood the brain, the Bible offered a solution to anxiety, redirect your thoughts. And so 2,000 years ago, this was written over 2,000 years ago, and it's interesting, humanity has and always will deal with anxiety. This is the, chapter four in Philippians is the anxiety chapter in scripture. Why? Because people needed it back then. They needed it from the first time humanity entered into the world, and we're going to need it until the end, until the return of Jesus. But then the promise, there will be a time when there's no pain, suffering, or anxiety. That's the second coming of Jesus. But until then, we are going to deal with anxiety. And Paul says, here's what we need to do. We have to redirect our thoughts Here's what he says, let's look back. And now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So here's our part in this and it's so part, this is action steps for us. We know God's gonna do his part. God is a faithful God and he's faithful in all his promises to us. He says, if you do this, you will experience peace. Our part is to do this. It's action. Fix your thoughts. Our thoughts need fixing. Our thoughts need fixing. And again, we have control over what we put into our minds. And it is so important to understand that. And he even tells us, so fix your thoughts on this and think about these. Think Think about things that are excellent. God's excellent this upward vision to God. Think about things that are worthy of praise. God is worthy of praise. So you see this transformation from shifting your mind on this worrisome cycle of ongoing thoughts again and again. He says, take hold of them. Take your thoughts captive. Think about these things. Be intentional about the things that you think about. And then think about things that are Excellent. Think about things that are worthy of praise. Think about the great, awesome God that we serve. So let's unpack this. Let's look at first the true. Fix your thoughts on what is true. True refers simply to factual thoughts rather than the false narratives that perpetuate the anxiety cycle. In the hospital bed, in that room, I was allowing the anxiety cycle to continue to continue because I was thinking about things that weren't factual, now, again, I could have replaced those, and there were some things I could be thinking about that of the, the unknown, but it wasn't true. I wasn't dead. For so many of us, we go to those worst-case scenarios. When we're ruminating, depending on the details, we go to those worst-case scenarios, and many times, those aren't factual. So make sure that our thoughts are based on truth because truth matters. Truth is important. And again, in a world that truth is becoming less important, truth does matter. It matters to God, and it should matter to us. And the first thing that Paul writes here about your anxiety is focus on true things, factual things that you are actually experiencing. Don't allow the amygdala to go in a direction and create this emotion that doesn't even exist because the scenario doesn't exist. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Honorable, right, and pure refers to the things that honor God, avoiding the sinful lifestyle that is hidden from view. This one really hit me in a a way I wasn't really thinking through this lens, but as we're preparing for this this series and this message, it's interesting how sin can lead to anxiety. And it's because what Adam and Eve modeled, it's, it's here, as soon as they sin, they hid And even as followers of Christ, so this is written to the Philippian church, so these are churchgoers for Christians, even when we are in this sinful season, because truthfully, Christians are supposed to slip into sin, because none of us are perfect. We're supposed to slip into sin with a heart of repentance, say, okay, I was wrong, I'm coming out of it, God, I I want to have you lead me through this, it's a heart of repentance, I want to change from that. But Christians also camp. It's that, in the spiritual warfare series, it's that sin nature that we still have within us that's pulling us and trying to pull us back to sin. And sometimes Christians, yes, will find them in seasons of sin. And the reason it leads to anxiety is because they don't want that sin found out. They don't want to get caught. And so they worry about it getting caught. They worry about what it's going to do to relationships. So they try to keep it hidden, and it leads to anxiety. Because you're in a state of worry. You know you're not honoring God. And there's some conviction part that's happening within all that. But you're trying to hide it. No, we can't hide it from God. God knows. But for many people in this room, possibly there is some sin unresolved sin that you are in this season and you need help. And my hope is that we would come to a place, King David in Psalms 139 says this, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I pray that we would say that prayer, that we would come to a place of vulnerability, allowing God to search our hearts, to test us, To be in a place, reveal God, what needs to change in me. God, I want to live that honoring life and I can't because I'm trapped in this sin. I need your help and therefore walk with me along the path of everlasting life. We have to have that heart of repentance. If that is you and you have unresolved sin, take it to God. Take it to God. Say, God, I want to turn from this. I need your help. I need your strength. Turn it to over to God, the one who is in control. Here's the third thing. Lovely and admirable are two words that appear only here in the New Testament. They speak to things that build up rather than tear down. Lovely represents those things that you truly prize or you truly love. Admirable is something that deserves to be highly spoken of. And so I, I mentioned earlier that we have the control. Like Paul is communicating, we have the control to be able to put what we want into our minds. That's what he's getting at here. Because what goes into your, into your minds comes out in your words and in your actions. Let me say that again. What goes into your mind, what we put into our mind comes out in our words and actions. So if you want to put hate As far as as frustration and hate in your mind, the words are going to be hateful. The actions are going to be hateful. But if you put godly words, godly truths into your minds, like what Paul is communicating to us, it leads us then to our speech, what he follows up in Ephesians. Paul writes this in chapter 4, verse 29. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You see how these two things are working together. So if we put godly, godly desires, godly wants for our lives, in our minds, all those truths that we talked about, then there's gonna be health. There's gonna be godly words that come out. There's gonna be godly actions that lead to a life of honoring God, not dwelling in sin. And I just love the simplicity of what Paul's getting at now. I do have to confess, yesterday I put my foot in my mouth with my wife. (laughs) I said something I shouldn't have said. And I was actually on the way home to work on this point. I hadn't gotten to this point yet. I sit down, I open God's word, and boy, did he convict me. I know it's hard. I know there are habit-forming things that people have with their speech, the kind of language they use But this is so important to understand, are you using what God has given you, the words and all the character within, to build up things or to tear down? Some of you do more tearing down than building up. And you need to allow God to really challenge you here because his desire is for all of us to build up. May we all use encouraging words. May we all have godly thoughts that lead to godly language. That leads to godly disciplines in how we live our lives. And here's the third point: when you win the battle in your mind, you can win it in your everyday life. Again, it starts up here in the mind. And when we win that battle, when we win that battle by putting godly, influential words in our minds then that gives us the opportunity now to be able to win in everyday life. And here's how Paul wraps it up in verse nine. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. I love this, Paul was in relationship with the Philippian church and he's talking about the relationship that he has with them. And he says, put into practice, this is our part, this was the part of the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, Practice all that you have learned and received from me. All of the words in God's truth, put that into practice. And then he goes on, he says, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Now, Paul wasn't perfect, but man, there is some incredible just words of encouragement of when you look at his life, especially before and then after coming to Jesus and how he was writing all of this from prison. He had no idea of what was going to happen. If anyone had, a, you know, the right to ruminate and to really go through those thoughts of what, what is going to happen to me, it would be Paul. But he doesn't go to one, the moment he's writing the letter, he's talking about, I lived an honoring life. Now, it wasn't perfect because he said these, how, God, how come I do the things I don't want to do? And how come the things I don't want to do? Why do I do those things, God? So we can relate to that, Paul. But he did. He lived. He, he was, his heart was about honoring God with his life, whether he had a lot or whether he had a little. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But what a great example Paul's life is. And he's like, listen, do what I've written and also what you've seen me and how I've lived it out. And then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Remember, in verses 6 and 7, Verse 7, it says, then you will experience that peace that surpasses all understanding. And now we get to experience the God of peace, this intimate relationship with God. It's just not peace. It is God of peace that we are going to experience, that God is an intimate God, and he wants to walk with you every step of the way. Amen for that. That is a promise. If we do what Paul writes We weren't there to actually watch them live it out, but we can read about it. And we put that into practice. This is God's promise to us who is faithful in his promises. And I want to talk to you today, if you walk through these doors and you're just seeking God, there's a peace that you need, and that peace is for God to deliver you from your sin problem. Now, I'm not judging you. Everybody has a sin problem. We're born into this world all the same. And our sin problem needs to be fixed, just like our thoughts need to be fixed. And Jesus fixed that sin problem for you. You can't add to it. There's nothing you can do but other than putting your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins when he went and died on the cross for you. My hope is that you would experience that peace that frees you from your sin, that you have been forgiven by the almighty God, Jesus, when he died on the cross for your sins. And my hope is if you are dealing with anxiety, surrender this to God week one. Don't be in control of it. Release that control to the almighty God who is in control. And to live out what Paul is communicating to us today. That is my prayer to you. And my hope is that you would experience the God of peace walking by your side and that you will experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for who you are. Thank you for... Loving us first. We are undeserving people, Lord. But you demonstrated that love by coming and giving your life for us. I pray for everyone here who has yet to make that response to you for the forgiveness of their sins, Lord. I pray that you would just touch their heart right now. Let them feel your presence. And I pray that they would surrender their life, their problems, their sin to you. Thank you for who you are. God, I'm so grateful that you didn't leave us here stranded, not knowing how to deal with anxiety, not knowing the details of how to be in a relationship with you and everything else. God, we're thankful for your word. May your word pierce our hearts as we go about our week today. May we meditate on those words, the, ri- the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul. I pray that we would meditate on those words, and those words would fill our thoughts, Lord. That they would fill our thoughts. And the outflow with that would be not thinking about these issues and these problems and all these thoughts that lead to anxiety, but fixing our eyes on you and leading to a a place of peace, God. There's anxious hearts here that need your peace, Lord, and I pray that they would surrender that to you, Lord. We're grateful that you are a God who remains faithful to us, that you want to hear from us, that you want to hear our needs and that ultimately you want to bring victory into our lives. You are awesome, and we praise you and worship you because you are worthy of our praise here today, of our worship to you. We love you, we thank you, and we worship you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.